seated, I want to invite you to pull out a Bible with me. If you've been with us uh, since August, we have been in the book of Revelation. Not hard to find. It's the very last book of your Bible. If you've never been with us, this is your first time uh, here with us at Hardin Baptist Church on Wednesday nights. Welcome to what we call Impact. Welcome to Impact. We are so glad that you have chosen to uh, worship with us tonight. And now we turn to hearing from the one we just gave all glory to, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll start uh, this message by actually showing you a picture up on the screen. Now don't call, don't call PETA on me, all right? Don't, don't, don't call PETA on me. That, that is, for those of you who don't know, that is a possum. And I know he looks dead, right? But you gotta know, he, he, he's not actually dead. This possum on the screen is not actually dead. Most of you probably know that possums like to play dead to deter their predators because they're a small animal. They have a lot of predators, and so they'll play dead because a lot of predators won't eat, don't want to eat an animal, some prey that's already died. And so that's what possums do. They, they look dead, but if you walked up to it, you grabbed its tail, you'd soon be screaming and maybe have rabies because he's not actually dead. He is very much alive. This is where we get this phrase, playing possum. And I don't know why, but, but as a kid, when I was like, a, you know, an elementary school kid, I would always play possum with my parents. I would, I would lay down I'd hold my breath as, as long as I could. I'd be as still as I possibly could, and I'd just wait for them to ask, Chase, like, are you okay? And they never would ask it, and it always really hurt my feelings. Why? Because they knew I was just playing possum. And so as hard as I, I tried to play dead, my parents always knew throughout my whole life that it was just an act, and so they were never actually concerned. And that's called playing possum. But I want to present a new game to you tonight. I want to present the game called Reverse Possum. Reverse Possum. And so follow me. If playing possum is pretending to be dead, but you're really alive, what do you think Reverse Possum is? Reverse Possum would be when you're pretending to be alive, but you're really dead. And that game doesn't seem as fun, right? right? Like who in their right mind would want to appear to be alive, but in reality, while your eyes are open, while you may look alive, in reality, you're actually dead. It's insane to even, even think about, right? It, it doesn't even make sense. But what we're going to see tonight is that this game, Reverse Possum, it really does happen. And in fact, my concern is that it's happening right here in this room. So you see, just like me as a kid, I think some of you could have very well likely shown up tonight thinking you have some people fooled. You may look alive tonight, but in reality, if we checked your pulse, you'd actually be dead. And unfortunately, Reverse Possum is a game that, that some professing Christians have chosen to play. And we're going to see it all throughout our time together tonight. 
So I'll just start with this very simple, yet very serious question. Are you playing reverse possum tonight? And just in case you haven't followed, this is what I'm asking. Did you show up here to impact tonight? And you show up every Wednesday night. And you give the impression that I'm alive. I'm faithfully following Jesus Christ. But the moment you walk out of these doors tonight, the moment you show up to school tomorrow, the moment you close your bedroom door tonight, the truth comes out. And you're actually dead. You see, playing possum is a fun little game that little kids like to play. But reverse possum is a dangerous game. And it could cost you everything. So are you playing reverse possum tonight? We're going to look at our text. Revelation 3, chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 is, is where we'll be tonight. To start us off. Before we pray, I'm just going to read verse 1. Revelation 3, verse 1 says this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that the songs we just sung to you, the song we just ended with, all glory be to Christ. God, I pray that that's not just a song on our lips, but that is a song in our hearts. And from me on this stage to our students sitting in their seat, I pray that all glory would be to you tonight. I pray that we'd ask ourselves uncomfortable questions tonight and that we'd get to the truth of the matter, that we'd check our own pulse tonight and see, do we just look alive, but we're actually dead, or are we truly alive? God, help us. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As always, uh, in these seven letters, if you're new to us, there's seven letters in chapters two through three in Revelation. We're on letter four, the fourth church. And so, as always, in these seven letters, we need to know two things straight off the bat. First, who is speaking? And second, who is he speaking to? And we're going to find out both of those things in the very first verse of our text. So first, who is speaking? Look back to verse one with me. It says, this is the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, which if you'll remember, you can even flip back there if you need to, back to Revelation 1. These were descriptions used to describe Jesus, the Son of Man in all of his glory. And now it's his words he's saying. So we know that this is Jesus speaking. Some of you may have red letters in your Bible at this point because it's Jesus speaking. But second question, who is he speaking to? He's going to tell us that also in verse 1, that this letter is addressed to the church in the city of, of Sardis. And this is where it's going to get absolutely huge for our particular text tonight. I, I need you to follow this because this text is going to get hard, but this is crucial. What verse 1, the very first part of verse 1 is telling us is that, first off, it's Jesus speaking, and he's speaking this is huge, 
to his people. That is to his church. In this case, who are living in the Asian city of Sardis. So catch this. He is not speaking to unbelievers who are outside of the church in Sardis. He's not speaking to unbelievers who gather with the church in Sardis. He is speaking specifically to his church, to his people. Okay? Now, I think that this city of Sardis, it's really interesting. When I'm a little bit of a geek, but I'm going to try to help you out here as an American, I think we could compare the city of Sardis to the city of Detroit, Michigan. I don't know if you know anything about Detroit, Michigan, but, but let me tell you. It's a sad city. You want to know why? No one wants to live in Detroit, Michigan. Now, just listen to this. From 1950 to, to 2010, there was a 614 percent decrease in population in Detroit, Michigan. So so what that means is that in 60 years, that took Detroit from being the fourth most populated city in our country to the 27th most populated city in our country in just 60 years. No one wants to live in Detroit. So while Detroit used to be this city full of people and full of glory and full of things to do, to be frank, now it's just really, really cold and really, really sad. No one wants to live in Detroit. Well, the city of Sardis is similar to the city of Detroit. Because catch this, in the 6th century BC, Sardis was absolutely flourishing. Sardis was actually like the place to be in the ancient world. You wanted to be in Sardis. But watch what happens. In 17 AD, a huge earthquake hits the city of Sardis. It causes an immense amount of damage, and now all of a sudden, everyone's leaving, businesses are gone, and Sardis, the city that used to flourish, is now flat on its back. It's dead. And so these Christians who were living in the city were living in a city that was in steep decline. And here's why I tell you all that. Here's why that is so important. Don't miss this. Apparently, the church in Sardis was now beginning to mirror the city it was living in. All of a sudden, it wasn't just the city that was dying, but now, sadly, the church in Sardis was beginning to die too. So my point is, what was happening to the city at large has now made its way and is beginning to happen within the church in that city. Essentially, the city was playing reverse possum. It looked alive. But if you opened the business doors, if you went to the houses, there was a lot of abandoned houses because it was a dead city. And now you had this church within this city also now playing reverse possum. It looked alive. You opened the doors and it was a a church full of people. But if you put a pulse on those people, you'd quickly realize that they look alive, but they're actually dead, just like the city they live in. Which leads us to our first section tonight. I want to tell you about this game, Reverse Possum. You see, see, the church in Sardis was playing the game, Reverse Possum. And we see it very clearly in the second half of verse 1. It says, as Jesus says, I know your works. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So you see, Reverse Possum is this game When people claim to be alive, they claim to be a Christian, and yet they're actually dead. 
And Jesus says this is exactly what's happening in his church of Sardis. They had a reputation of being live, but in reality, they weren't. They were dead. Very practically, this is what that means. See, when these guys went to church, when these gals went to church, when they gathered with their brothers and sisters, they would have given off the aroma, the appearance that they were faithfully following Jesus. That would have been their reputation among other Christians. However, their reputation did not match reality. They looked alive, but they weren't alive. They looked like they were faithfully following Jesus, but Jesus knew they weren't. So see, the church in Sardis, they were the type of people who would show up to church on Sunday mornings, they wear their blessed clothes, they always had their Bibles with them, they'd always worship, they'd always lead the prayers, they'd always answer the questions in small groups, and then they'd leave. But when they left, when they walked out into the world, when they went to their jobs on Monday or to their schools on Monday, they would all of a sudden start to look like the world around them. Let's just ask this. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Does it sound familiar for you for for people to call themselves followers of Jesus, and yet when they get out of public, when they get around their friends, when they go to school, when they get to their locker room, all of a sudden they don't act like a Christian? Does it possibly sound like some friends you might have, some family members you might have? Does it possibly sound like you? And that's what I call reverse possum. That's what Jesus calls in verse 1, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. I want us all to just take a moment tonight, every single one of us, from me to you, every single one of us, just to answer a few questions honestly. Not out loud, just in the privacy of your own head a couple questions. First, who are you in public versus private? Answer honestly. Who are you in public versus private? What about church versus school? What about your living room versus your bedroom? What about a Sunday morning versus a Friday night? What about your public Instagram versus your private Instagram? What about in front of your pastor versus in front of your peers? Who are you? And is it possible that you're playing reverse possum tonight? So let me just ask you, who cares? Why does it matter how you answer those questions? Why does it matter? Why is it a big deal? Is it a big deal if you are playing reverse possum? And that's going to lead us to our second section tonight. I'm going to tell you the problem with reverse possum. You see, I'll be honest with you. It's possible that you've tricked me. It's possible that you've tricked your parents. It's possible that you've tricked your small group leaders. It's possible that you've tricked your teachers, your coaches, maybe even some of your friends. But can I be honest? Who cares? Who cares whether you've tricked me? You see, see the problem with reverse possum is you're tricking the wrong people. You're tricking people who ultimately do not matter. But I want you to go back to verse 1 with me. What does Jesus start off by saying to his church? The first thing he says, he says, I know your 
works. So congrats to the Sardis church. They fooled everyone around them. They had a reputation of being alive. However, they did not and they could not fool the one who actually mattered, and that's Jesus himself. So the truth is, students, I can't see your heart. You're right. I can't see what you do in your bedroom. I can't see who you are at your school. But it doesn't matter what I can't see. What matters is that God does see. He sees it all. He knows your works. And you better believe it, if you're playing reverse possum tonight, he knows. That's the problem with reverse possum. You can't trick the one who knows everything you do, everywhere you go. His name is Jesus. So that's the game, and that's the problem. It is a big problem, but what's the solution? To the church in Sardis, and possibly for some of us here tonight, what needs to happen for Christians playing reverse possum? And that's going to bring us to our third section, the solution for reverse possum. Now, you guys know me at this point. I usually... If it works out with the text, I like to put my applications to the text at the very end of a message. But here in this particular passage, Jesus is going to give us our applications right in the middle of our passage, okay? So be ready to write these down because here they are, and they're crucial. If, like the church in Sardis, you find yourself playing reverse possumite, Jesus is going to give us four things that we need to do. And he's going to give us all to him in verses 2 and 3. And the first thing is this. To reverse possums, to people who look alive but you're actually dead, the first thing is you need to wake up. Jesus is going to say this right off the bat in verse 2. He says, wake up. Up. Now, I'm not going to lie, I've been studying Revelation since March or April, and I find this particular verse, especially this week, just extremely confusing. Because here's the question I had If Jesus, in verse 1, just got done calling this Sardis church dead, how in his right mind could, in verse 2, he then tell them to wake up? I mean, you just tell me, can dead people wake up? I've never seen it happen. I don't think it's possible. So if Jesus just told them they're dead in verse 1, why then in the very next verse is he now telling them, wake up? This is a rhetorical question, but to this point, would you say, I struggle with this all week, would you say that the people in Sardis are genuine believers or are they unbelievers? Rhetorical question. I've struggled with this question for a while now, since March, April, especially this week, but but I'll tell you where I'm at as of of today. There's people who disagree with me, but this is where I'm at, and and I pray that the Spirit has led me to this conclusion, because I believe that the people in Sardis that Jesus is addressing are, in fact, genuine believers in Jesus Christ. This is difficult, but it's also basic theology 101. Because Jesus has already told us in verse 1 that he's speaking to whom? To his 
church. And basic theology 101 tells us, and you got told this in COVID, I hope and pray, the church is not a building. Like this thing that we're in, it's nice, I'm very grateful for it, but this, that's not a church. This is a church. The church isn't a building, the church is a people. More precisely, the church is a people made up of believers in Jesus Christ. So this is huge. This is basic, but it's huge. That means it is impossible, impossible for unbelievers to make up the church that Jesus is addressing. Unbelievers may gather with the church, but they cannot, will not, never will make up the church. That's because by definition, the church is a people made up of genuine believers in Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus says he's addressing his church in Sardis, that means he's addressing genuine believers in Sardis because those two two terms are synonymous. And so even though he calls them dead in verse 1, he is still talking to his church. The audience hasn't changed. This is to genuine believers. And this is what all that means. Clearly, it has to mean this. It is possible for them, and it is possible for some of us tonight to be dead, to be playing reverse possum, and yet still be genuine believers. Here's what I have have come to believe. Here's how I've come to rationale this text in my mind. Although Jesus calls these believers dead in verse 1, I'm going to get real fancy with you. They ain't dead dead. They're not dead dead. What I mean is they're not dead in the same way that Paul describes unbelievers as dead in Ephesians 2. Not synonymous. Same word, not not the same way to describe an individual. This isn't the same picture of death in Revelation 3. Unbelievers, yes, are dead, dead. That's an unbeliever. No pulse. In a casket. These Christians in Sardis are not. That would be impossible. Because they make up the church. Instead, if they're not dead, dead, like an unbeliever, I would say they're dead asleep. See, the picture of death that Jesus is giving in Revelation 3 is not that of a casket, it's of a coma. Not a casket, but a coma. The idea here, the picture here, is that the Sardis church has gone gone completely dormant. They've entered a coma-like sleep. They have backslidden so far. They've become so apathetic to the things of God that they have become completely lifeless. They're dead. Now, they're still his church But according to Jesus, they have tragically fallen into a deep spiritual coma. And some of you are here tonight, and you've joined them. You might not be in a casket, but you are in a coma. You may look at times like you're following Jesus whenever that best suits you. But in reality, you're in a coma. You've become apathetic. To Jesus Christ. You have backslidden into sin and you've allowed the world to influence you rather than you influencing the world. 
And so you need to hear what you need to do tonight according to Jesus. It is time for some of us in this room to wake up. It's time to get out of our pajamas, to get out of bed, to wake up from our coma, and to stop playing games with the one who knows our works. There is no time for sleepy Christians. No time. And second, once we wake up, Jesus is then going to tell us to get up. Once your eyes are open, it's time to, to get out of bed. Revelation 3.2 says this. Wake up, and then he says, and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I'll give you an illustration to, to, help, you what's going, to help you understand what's going on here. Uh, let me just ask, have you ever decided... To lay down, you're, you're going to take a quick, innocent nap. It's like noon, it's like one. All of a sudden, you wake up, your eyes pop open, and it's pitch black outside. Has that ever happened to you? I see some people nodding your heads. How does that make you feel when that happens? Man, I hate that feeling. I'll be honest with you, this has happened to me, and I wake up, it's pitch black outside. I, I just get mad at myself. Like, how in the world, Chase, could you let this short, innocent nap turn into an entire afternoon wasted? How could you do that? Like, I could have been working. I could have been studying. I could have been doing a million other productive things. But here I was sleeping. A nap ruined my work. So when that happens, what should I do? I mean, I basically just wasted my day, so should I just go back to sleep? Like, what's the point of getting up at this point? Should I just kind of shrug it off, like, hey, no big deal, just going to play some video games now until I get tired again? Or in that scenario, should I use what remaining hours I have left to be as productive as I possibly can be and do the work that I had to do in the first place before I fell asleep. I can tell you from experience, I better get up and I better get to work. Because if I don't, I simply am not going to finish all the work that I still have left to do. And I believe this is the exact picture Jesus is giving here in verse 2. See, these genuine believers, his church has fallen asleep and they have wasted so much time. And I promise you this, my birthday's on Tuesday. I forgot how old I was going to be when someone asked this week. Woo, I'm going to be 27. And I, time is something you will never get back. You're going to hear that as a teenager, like, that's not true. Time Time goes quick, and it's something you'll never get back. And so the time these Christians wasted, guess what? It's gone. It's gone forever. They napped through it. But now their eyes are opened. They're awake, and they're faced with an option. Should I... Should I throw me a pity party? Should I get all mad at myself? Or should I get out of bed and get to work? And here's Jesus' answer. You better strengthen what remains. He says, okay, you took a nap, Chase. You fell into a coma. That's not good. But don't let the rest of your time here on earth go to waste. He then tells them that I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You see, for us believers, God has given us a work to do. Believe that because it's true. 
And if we fall asleep, we're all of a sudden in jeopardy of not getting that work done. So the solution for sleepy Christians isn't to go back to sleep because we've already wasted too much time. The solution is to strengthen what remains, get up, and get back to work. Some of you have fallen into a spiritual coma tonight, and you've wasted a lot of time. And I'll be blunt, you won't get it back. But the good news is, the sun came up this morning. The clock is still ticking. So what should you do? Well, first you got to wake up, but then you got to get up. You got to strengthen what time remains, and you got to go do the work you need to do for the kingdom of God until you run out of time. And once we get up, Jesus is going to give us two more things to do. Third, we got to remember the gospel, and fourth, we got to obey the gospel. Wake up, get up, remember the gospel, obey the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. By the way, here's some more proof that we know that the same people Jesus called dead in verse 1 have to be genuine believers. Why? Because he just says here they have received the gospel. That implies they didn't just hear it at a Wednesday night impact. That implies they have received it by faith. Unbelievers do not receive the gospel by faith. Believers receive the gospel by faith. And so Jesus' point is what you have received, the gospel, now you need to remember. You need to remember what Christ has done. And by remembering the gospel, he says they were to keep it, which is a way of saying obey it. And it's safe to say for this particular church to this point, they had not been doing this. They weren't remembering the gospel, and so they sure weren't obeying the gospel. And so can I just say this? I'm no, this is an all-inclusive statement, but I would, I would guess, I would assume that all seasons of backsliding for Christians, this is how it begins. By neglecting to do what the Sardis church was doing right here. You want to know how it's possible for genuine Christians to backslide, to fall into a spiritual coma? It's because you and I, and we are both in danger of this, become disconnected to the word of God, from the gospel of God. So the truth is, you may be a genuine believer or not, but if you drift or have drifted away from God's word, from, from reading it, from studying it, from memorizing it, from hearing it preached, very soon, you can expect yourself to be walking in darkness. Almost always, in fact. You see, the gospel, it's not something we just believe and then graduate, some, graduate from. It's, it's something we believe and then we come back to every single day. And we allow it to continually transform our lives. And that's why as followers of Jesus, we cannot afford, hear me, students, you cannot afford to spend time away from your Bible. You got to remember it. And you got to go out and obey it. And it sounds simple, but that's Jesus' solution for the sleeping Sardis church. And that's his solution for us tonight. Wake up, get up, remember the gospel, and go obey the gospel. But the text isn't done because now we got to ask the question what happens to those who don't listen? 
What happens to those who don't wake up, who insist on continuing to play reverse possum? And that's going to lead us to our fourth section. The consequence for continuing to play reverse possum. You see, to everyone who does not wake up, who refuses to keep sleeping, Jesus says this in verse 3. He says, if you won't wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. Hear me, students. The consequence of continuing to play reverse possum with God, appearing to be alive, but really you're dead, here's the consequence. Jesus is coming against you like a thief. I think this passage just got a little bit harder. Because in other passages in Scripture, when the Bible talks about Jesus coming like a thief, it's almost always talking about his second coming, the day of judgment. But I don't believe that's what it's talking about here. Why? Because we've already established that Jesus is speaking to his church. And here's what i got to have you realize tonight. God will never eternally judge his church, ever. I want you to hear that. God will never eternally judge his church. He cannot, he will not ultimately judge the person who has already been judged in Jesus Christ. He won't. And that's precisely what has happened for those of us who genuinely make up his church. And so in a case of a genuine believer who's fallen asleep and he won't listen to Jesus, what's going to happen to him? Jesus says, I'm coming against you like a thief. Not an eternal judgment, but in extreme discipline. Not in judgment, but in discipline. I need you to hear me say this again. we got to be on the same page here. If you are a genuine believer or not, if you've genuinely been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is absolutely nothing you can do that could ever cause God to judge you. What now can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer, nothing, not even your sin. Why? Not because you're special, but because he's already judged you in his son, Jesus Christ. And now through him, you're forgiven now and forever. And that's great news. Who can separate me from the love of Christ? Nobody. Praise God. Now watch this. How pure evil is it then for some of us to turn that great news of forgiveness of sin now into a license to sin against the one who has saved us now and forever? To take the grace of God in vain, isn't that exactly what the Sardis church is doing? It is exactly what so many people are doing today. It should make you physically sick that for some people, hearing and believing that Jesus has paid the penalty for all your sins, for some unexplainable reason, causes some people to use the very grace of God as a reason to go on and live however you want. That should make us physically sick. Hear me say this tonight. If that is you, if you're doing that, if you refuse to wake up, you will not go unpunished. By God's grace, not because of you, by God's grace, you won't be eternally judged. 
Because God will remain faithful to you and me when we do not remain faithful to him. However, he absolutely will punish you in the form of discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. It's a promise. He chastises every son he receives. And so I promise you this. I promise you will not get away with your sinning against the Lord if you belong to him. If you're sinning against the Lord and you're receiving no discipline, you better be worried because the Lord has promised that he will chastise the son he loves. But you continue sinning against the Lord and you watch, he will discipline you. If you're an unbeliever, he will judge you. If you're a believer and you won't wake up, you keep sinning against him, he's coming like a thief to discipline you. But here we get a glimpse into the long suffering and the patience of God with you and me. Because here's what he's doing. See, by threatening discipline here, I'm coming against you. What he's doing is our loving God is giving his people a chance to repent. He threatens that, hey, if you don't wake up, I will come against you. But catch this, by threatening that, he is purposefully and graciously giving you an opportunity to wake up tonight, to repent. I can totally relate to this because this is exactly how I parent. Like Maddox, if you do not stop being mean to your sister, I will put you in time out. Maddox, if you do not stop hitting your sister, I will give you a spanking. What's coming out of my mouth today, by the way? That's why it's so fresh there. And if he stops what he's doing, I will not discipline him. I gave him a chance to repent, and this is what I'm hoping for. I don't want to discipline you. Please stop hitting your sister. But if he doesn't stop, as a good, loving dad, I have no choice but to follow through with my word and discipline him like I said I would. I don't want to discipline him. I hate it. But I have to. And I do it because I love him. I have no other choice. I want you to hear me tonight. Discipline's not fun. But I believe with my whole heart that God works the exact same way. There is no part of me that believes Christ wants to come against his church. And so he threatens discipline that is meant to lead us to repentance. It's one more chance to get on your knees and confess your sins to God, to repent so he will not discipline. Do not take the grace of God, the patience of God in vain tonight. Quit playing reverse possum and wake up. Really quick, if you do that, that's going to lead us to our fifth and final section. Real quick, stay with me. This is so important. Because you see, by and large, this church in Sardis, they'd fall into a coma. But there were some among them who had not. Revelation 3.4. We'll, we'll fly through this. I promise, stay with me. Don't lose me. Revelation 3.4. Yet, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I love this. The people who persevere, who do not fall into a coma, Jesus calls worthy. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to look into my Savior's face one day. He looks right back at me and staring into my eyes and says, Chase, you are worthy. And these worthy people are the ones who consistently remember and obey the gospel. They stay awake. They stay alert. And then he says this in verse 5. The one who conquers... 
will be clothed in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess him before my father and before his angels. So there's three quick promises. I'll just fly through them. First, Jesus promises to clothe us in white. This is to conquerors. Second, he promises to never blot our names out of the book of life if you're a conqueror. And third, he promises to confess our names before the Father and before his angels if we're a conqueror. And I need you to, I need you to hear this tonight as I wrap up. All of God's children, hear this, I'm not done. All of God's children, the entire church, are going to receive all three of these promises. Jesus is going to look every single one of his people in the eyes, and he is going to call us all worthy. There's not one single person who won't receive all three of these promises if you've been bought by the blood of Christ. It is not just those who do not stain their garments who Jesus will dress in white, but it's all of us. Even those who have fallen asleep, even those who have went into a coma, even those who have messed up, it's all of us who have been bought by the blood of Christ. You want to know what that means? This is huge. It means this. Students, if you have fallen into a coma tonight, you showed up to impact playing reverse possum, you're a genuine believer, but you've fallen asleep. All hope is not lost. Here's why. I made it very clear that I believe Jesus is speaking to his church in this passage. That means this. Jesus' church, his true church, His genuine believers will listen to the Lord and Savior speak to them tonight. They will. Because they will be conquerors. Because they will receive these promises. So I'm going to answer a question I think could be going through some of your minds. How do I know if I'm a believer who has fallen into a coma or if I'm a fake believer who needs to repent and believe for the very first time? Well, the proof is going to be in the pudding. Here's my answer. Will you listen to your Jesus tonight? It's very simple. Will you listen to your Jesus tonight? He promises the church is going to conquer. That means true Christians are going to conquer, which means if you really are a believer tonight, you will conquer. Which means you're going to wake up from your coma You're going to get up out of bed. You're going to go on remembering the gospel, and you're going to go on obeying that gospel. That's what Christ's church will do tonight. If your desire is not to do that, to go on and keep sinning against the Lord after you've heard his clear word tonight, you should have absolutely no confidence that you're a part of his church to begin with. See, as kids, we might have played possum to to try and trick our parents, but, but for Christians, for you and me, the time for games, it's over. Reverse possum is a game we cannot afford to play any longer, students. We got to wake up. We got to get up. We got to remember the gospel. And we got to start obeying the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you for your word. God, may it not fall on deaf ears, but may the spiritually asleep tonight wake up and go forth and live faithfully for you this week, this month, and for the rest of our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.